Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Tuesday, June 13th. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Neulander with me, and we're going to get into the Ohio State coaching situation, the Butler coaching situation here in just a minute. But first things first, the NBA Finals wrapped up last night. Golden State Warriors won inside Oracle Arena, Game 5 victory. So even though LeBron James averaged a, a triple-double in these finals, became the first person to ever do that, uh, uh, the Golden State Warriors are your champions in, in five games. And uh, I don't know that there's anything surprising about that. When you take what was the best team in the world, a 73-win team, and add Kevin Durant to it, this is the way this is supposed to end. So this is the way that it ended. But it was interesting last night, and you'll see why I'm bringing this up in just a second. Uh, because after Golden State wins and Kevin Durant's named the finals MVP, Nike releases this commercial. And the gist of it is, um, uh, a lot of talking heads, you know, folks on uh, television or radio or even podcasts, you know, uh, yelling about Kevin Durant at various uh, points in his career. And like literally the first comment you hear from this guy who's supposed to be, whether it's Skip Bayless or or somebody else like Skip Bayless, doesn't matter. It's, it's all fake people. But this guy like is yelling. He says, Kevin Durant's a skinny teenager. He's never going to make it in a man's league. And I watch it, and I'm like, listen, okay. Like, if you want to make a nice commercial, I'm fine with it. But we don't have to make things up. Matt Norlander, you were covering college basketball, very familiar with the sport. Uh, back at the time, Kevin Durant was coming out of Texas. Do you remember a single sensible person or even just, like, a ridiculous person? Do you remember anybody saying Kevin Durant is a skinny teenager who will never make it in a man's league? I know people said Kevin Durant's skinny. Kevin Durant can't bench press. But the idea that we're making it out like Kevin Durant's Isaiah Thomas was the 60th pick in the draft and like has overcome all these things to be what he is now is fundamentally ridiculous. Kevin Durant was the number two pick in the draft. Only reason he was number two is because Greg Oden was uh, a physical marvel and totally awesome. It's got nothing to do with Kevin Durant. But best I can remember, uh, back when 2007... Basically, everybody understood the potential greatness for Kevin Durant. The idea that he's proven a whole bunch of people wrong, doesn't that doesn't ring true, does it? Not at all. That's I mean, Nike going to Nike there. I think sure. you can look you can look on YouTube and you can see a Tim Tebow ad from a couple years ago where a lot of the similar talking points were hit upon about Tim Tebow being doubted and all of this stuff. Coming out of high school, when in reality, Tim Tebow was recruited by major, major college football programs and was a five-star recruit and all that stuff. Now, if you want to talk about Tim Tebow being doubted at the pro level, that's a different thing. But the, the sentiment of the ads are actually very, very similar. Now, I actually – I did not cover – even like before I got the CBS job and I, I ran uh, – shout out to College Hoops Journal back in the day. Um, I wasn't even doing College Hoops Journal when Durant was playing – so I wasn't I was just, you know, a big time, big time fan of college basketball, uh, but wasn't even writing about it in any respect there. So I can't speak to Durant as a prep prospect then. Uh, but what I can speak to and what I clearly remember is hype around Durant coming in, Durant being on the cover of Sports Illustrated midway through his freshman season at Texas, Durant having an insane game at Oklahoma State, being in the moment talked about as one of the best freshman players of the past 15 years when he was doing this at Texas. And then after his season, I remember 
plenty of discussion about Durant versus Odin for the number one pick. And Odin's defensive abilities, the fact Ohio State made the title game, in large part behind him, there were other players, obviously, that was a really good Ohio State team. That played more into Odin feeling like more of a sure thing because Durant, while crazy talented, was not as well built. Um, he famously could not even get one rep of 225 up at the combine or something like that. But it was very much Odin or Durant. And within those strict parameters, GP, there was never any doubt about Durant's ability to make it and step into the league and be an impact player. No one necessarily was saying Durant's going to go down as one of the 20 best players of all time, which I think firmly he will be by the time he retires. But many thought that he was going to be an all-star and if he had any sort of, quote-unquote, doubters, I think that would have only happened within the prospect of, okay, maybe he's not going to be as good as a number two pick. Maybe he'll be, you know, a top 15, top 20 guy. But there was no situation when you looked at how high a recruit he was rated, how well and, and just uh, different he was at Texas. I mean, when he was a stud at Texas, he was unlike any other player we had seen in college basketball in a very long time. So it's important to remember that discussion and the things that surrounded Durant then, because now as we're a decade removed, Nike's going to try and reestablish the narrative, so to speak, as much as we overuse that word. And it's just not true. It makes for an interesting ad, I'm sure, but it's it's definitely a, a little bit of, of fake advertising or fake news. So I went to Texas before Kevin's freshman year. Like he was on campus, but they haven't played a game yet. And just to sort of highlight how big of a deal football is on that campus relative to basketball. Here's Kevin Durant, who was a consensus number two prospect in America coming out of high school behind only Greg Oden. He's also like, I know he's like 6'11", 7 foot now. He was at least 6'8", 6'9", then. So you got a, a tall guy walking around campus who's also like a consensus top two prospect in America. And he and I walked around that campus and like we were in restaurants in Austin. We spent like two days together. And nobody ever <laughs> approached us to ask for an autograph, to ask for a picture, to ask if he's Kevin Durant. Like, you know, like I, I can't imagine Vince Young could walk around the campus at all. But like, it, like it, it was remarkable to me, like because I could only contrast it with some other places that I had been walking around or being in the in the town with, uh, you know, prospects like that uh, of, of that you know, you walk around the Florida campus with Joe Kim Noah, like you were, well, you were walking around the Florida campus with Elvis, but like Kevin Durant, like nobody cared. It just didn't matter. Now, keep in mind, this is before he'd ever played a game, but still, um, the idea you could walk around with a tall guy who is like a one and done for sure thing, and and people not really notice on a college campus, I thought was interesting. But so, I, I remember, you know, he picked me up. That was the deal. He's going to pick me up at my hotel. So he, he drives up, picks me up, and he's he's. He can barely talk because he had just had a, some sort of tooth procedure and his face was all numb and his mouth was all numb. So I was like, this is great. I've come here to interview Kevin Durant. He can barely talk. This is less than ideal. And so, but he was awesome. He, he could not have been better, cooler, funnier, like really approachable. He was, he was great. I, I've liked him. Uh, I've liked him since that day and, and never stopped. Like I'm a, I'm a Kevin Durant fan. But then they were playing pickup maybe the second day I was there. And I was talking to the strength coach at Texas the, who worked under Rick Barnes. And I was just sort of picking his brain about Kevin. Now, this guy is a strength coach, not a basketball coach. But he said, no, Kevin's awesome. Everybody loves him. Kevin's awesome. And he said, yeah, and we've already nicknamed him. I said, you've already nicknamed him? 
What's his nickname? What's Kevin Durant's new nickname? He said, WTF. And I said, really? Why, why, why is his nickname WTF? He's like, because every time. He said, listen, I don't, I'm not a basketball coach, but every time I watch him in this gym, I go, what the? Like, he does things that make you go, what the? And he was like, so his nickname is WTF. And then, of course, he goes and has a record-breaking, crazy, awesome season uh, at Texas. And the idea that he went second in that draft has everything to do with the greatness of Greg Oden and nothing to do with the greatness of Kevin Durant. Uh, People didn't question, as this commercial suggests, whether Kevin Durant could make it in a men's league. Uh, to the extent people were saying anything about Kevin Durant, it was like, oh my God, it makes me sick to have to pass on this guy. But like Greg Oden, you have to pass on this guy to take Greg Oden. And because of the way Greg's career unfolded, folks forget how awesome he was. In that one season at Ohio State, he averaged 16 points, 10 rebounds, um, and 3.3 blocks per game, basically with one hand. Because you remember, like he couldn't play. He was like a one-handed player for most, like he had a wrist injury or something and so basically with one hand he averaged 16 10 and 3.3 blocks per game and in the national championship game against a front line of Al Horford and Joe Kim Noah and people forget but Chris Richard who also played in the NBA and Maurice Spates who also played in the NBA so you got four NBA front court players in that game and Greg Oden got 25 points 12 rebounds and four blocks Greg Oden was awesome and the only reason Kevin Durant went second in that draft, it's got nothing to do with Kevin Durant's strength or lack thereof. It's got everything to do with Greg Oden was awesome. And so it's just like, I just sort of roll my eyes at the commercial. Like, if you wanted to make that commercial about Steph Curry, it works. Like, nobody thought, yeah, he'd, be, he'd, nobody thought he'd be able to make it. Skinny kid, can't play in the NBA, couldn't even play at his dad's alma mater, Virginia Tech, famously wouldn't offer him a scholarship. Um, you, like, that rings true about Steph Curry. But not about Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant was maybe, like you said, not supposed to be this, which is a top 20 player all time. But he was always supposed to be special. Nobody ever doubted that. And so um, the commercial, like when it, you know, it's a nice commercial. And as you said, Nike's going to Nike. But like when you start it with just total fiction, like it's hard for me to, to, to celebrate it as, oh, wow, what a great, what a great story. Like Kevin Durant last night is probably about where Kevin Durant was always supposed to be, especially when he joined a 73-win team. So the idea that he shocked the world, like that just uh, that doesn't make much sense to me. Do you remember Odin at all? Oh, dude, I'm not 19. You might be. Yeah. You might be. Yes, I remember Odin. I would encourage uh, anybody who's too, who, who only thinks of injuries when you think of Greg Odin, like just go pull YouTube videos of Greg Odin in that one year at Ohio State or in his high school career. He was like – People thought, I, I don't mean in necessarily the way he plays, but in terms of a big man who can dominate a sport like Shaquille O'Neal did, like people thought he was going to be that. Like he was a once-in-a-generation type guy, and his body just failed him. It is really, and we talked about this, I think, before. Like I hate it when I read quotes from Greg talking about, because I know he's had his problems since then, drinking problems. He was in a domestic dispute that was pretty ugly. I, I'm not defending any of that. But at a time when I knew him, when he was a kid, um, he was awesome. Like, so humble and funny. Like, I just remember being at ABCD camp one time, and I feel like maybe O.J. Mayo was a year younger than him. But we were at ABCD camp, and Odin was there, and O.J. was there. And, like, that was the convert. Sort of, like, to the extent that there was a debate 
like who's the best player in the country regardless of high school class? Is it rising senior Greg Oden or rising junior O.J. Mayo? And perhaps the reason this got brought up, because I don't think actual basketball people were saying it, I think O.J. said, I'm the best player in the country. And so I remember sitting down with Greg, and I was like, Did you, like who do you think is the best player in the country? He was like, oh, O.J. Mayo. Like, O.J.'s great. Like, I can't do the stuff that he does. He was just like totally like willing to concede anything to anybody. And the other thing I remember is like if you wanted to talk to O.J. Mayo, you had to go through like 50 people. And there was an entourage around a 16-year-old O.J. Mayo. It was ridiculous. And if you want to talk to Greg Oden, you just had to walk into the bleachers at ABCD camp and sit down beside him and say, hey, Greg, I'm Gary Parrish, CBS Sports. Do you have a couple minutes? Like it, it, There was nothing there that you had to fight through, which is why, like, when Thad Mata at his press conference last week, uh, you know, after he was removed at Ohio State, he talked about how much recruiting has changed. And he said, among the things he said was, I always tell people the easiest – recruitment I ever been a part of was the Mike Conley Greg Oden one because there was nothing there like I you know it was just they they recognized an opportunity they wanted to be with us they didn't drag it out forever and that totally makes sense to me because I, I obviously know Mike well now because he, he he lives in Memphis but um I remember Greg being the same way like there was just no there was all the stuff that typically comes along with the number one recruit in America like it just wasn't there with Greg Oden and so when I hear him talk about his career how it unfolded and he says yeah I'm probably the biggest bust in NBA draft history like it just I hate that I hate that he thinks that about himself because the truth is his his body just failed him it's not his fault his body just broke down on him and it is really uh it, it ruined one of the uh, the great possible careers, uh, you know, of the past couple of decades. But it should be a reminder as you watch Kevin Durant last night. Not only, you know, I don't know that he dominated the finals. I think LeBron James probably still dominated the finals. But you watch him win a Finals MVP and a World Championship. Just understand, it was completely sensible back in 2007 to think that there was somebody in that draft better than that guy you watched last night, and that guy was Greg Oden. All right, let's. Let's talk Ohio State here. Since we last talked, they hired Holtman, which was your pick. And, you know, thoughts on the hire and the process, I guess, before we get to his obvious replacement at uh, – You know what? Oh. It went – and I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but if you don't mind, I will pat myself on the back. It went exactly like I said it would go. I mean, you go back and listen well, to that. Well, I mean, not, ex- not, not exactly. Okay, I mean, here's, what, here's what I said. Here's what I said. Okay. I said. I said, if you go back and listen to the clip – Here's what I said because I went back and listened to it like forty times just to hear myself. Oh my god! Just to hear yeah. my, just to hear myself taking be- a, taking a bubble bath, sipping champagne, yeah. listening to our podcast, yeah. coming back. I played in the podcast, uh, uh, in the bathtub. Uh, got my wife over there with the podcast on the MacBook. I got candles lit. I'd say, Kelly, play, play it one more time. Play it one more time. Just go back to the twenty three fifty mark. Play it one more time. And so uh, here's what here's, here's actually what I said. I said the the search is going to start. At, at a play, whether it's Sean Miller, Chris Mack, Billy Donovan, it's going to start up there, and they'll get turned down, and then eventually the job will fall to Chris Holtman, and then he will accept, and Chris Holtman will be the next Ohio State coach. And that is exactly what happened. You know, whether Sean Miller got an official offer, or Chris Mack got an official offer, or Billy Donovan got an official offer, um, if any of those guys wanted to be the Xavier, I mean, the Ohio State coach, they could be, right? They, they absolutely could be. And it didn't take long for Gene Smith, the athletic director of Ohio State, to realize those things weren't happening. In fact, if you listen to Gene Smith yesterday at the Chris Holtman press conference, I think it was yesterday, um, he was pretty open about the process. He didn't get into the names too much, but the timeline he laid out pretty clearly. And he was working on the search even before 
they announced Thad was no longer the coach on Monday. Like, I think he came to terms with the idea that he was making a coaching change on the previous Friday or Saturday. And on that Saturday and Sunday, he started working, you know, at, at, you know, at the, at, the, at the top of his list. And that's where I'm assuming he had Urban Meyer at least casually reach out to Billy. And, you know, he asked a question here, asked a question there. But, you know, they announced on Monday morning that Thad was out or Monday afternoon. And by Monday night, certainly by early Tuesday, I know that they had already, like, realized we're not getting Sean Miller, we're not getting Archie Miller, we're not getting Chris Mack, we're not getting Jay Wright, we're not getting Mark Few, all these guys that always come up in these searches and never actually go where people think they might go. And so then it settled into Holtman. And I know that Holtman rejected him, pushed him off, uh, at least initially. That's not ex- that's what I'm getting at. What, exactly what, did I, what did I say? I said they'll offer. It would fall to Holtman. He would take it. it Is it, that what happened? Thank it. you. That's what happened. I said. I said it'll start with some other guys. They'll pass. It'll fall to Holtman. He'll take the job. He, that's exactly what happened. Now he did push him back, and he got an eighth year yeah. as as opposed to just a seventh year. But did it start somewhere else? Let's just take it step by step, and, Norlander. And, well, I mean, the McDermott factor neither of us saw coming. No, so. I yeah that that was to me that was the most shocking part of all this because I didn't think that it would get. I mean, I, I say this with all due respect to Greg, who I like. I just didn't think he would be on the radar at Ohio State. I, you know, I just didn't. I did that. That didn't make a lot of sense to me. And so what we now know is that they went to Holtman on Tuesday, I guess it was. He basically said, no, I don't think so, when they're offering a seven-year deal. They go meet with McDermott. Then, according to Greg McDermott, they offered him the job. And I know that there's been some reports out of Columbus that suggest that he wasn't really offered the job. But, like, Greg McDermott is on record saying, I was offered the job. I, you know, when I got the offer, I wasn't totally excited about it, and so that's how I knew it wasn't the right move for me. So unless you're calling Greg McDermott a liar, um, then I'm going to assume that Greg McDermott got an offer. And I don't care about a formal offer. Like, I'm not dealing with – I'm not going to get into a debate about semantics. Here's the way I, I consider whether you got an offer or not. Was it your job if you wanted it? Like, I, I'm sure Chris Mack never got an offer from Ohio State. But was it Chris Mack's job if he wanted it? Yes. Well, then he got an offer. Like, you know, athletic directors, these are things that they hide behind. They say, you know, the job was never formally offered. Well, like, okay. like So what does that mean? You didn't fax a contract over? Like, shut up. If Chris Mack wanted to be your coach, could he have been? Yes. Well, then you you offer the job to Chris Mack. And so Greg McDermott is on record saying if I wanted to, you know, he's on record saying he was given an offer. So it is true that I'm going to accept it as true that Greg McDermott could be the coach at Ohio State. But he decided to stay at Creighton, at which point – I think probably at that point, Ohio State got desperate and we're just like, we got to get this done. So you're just going to keep putting it in front of Holtman, who is somebody you wanted two days earlier. You're just going to put it in front of him until he accepts. So, okay, we're offering seven years, $20 million. No, I don't think so. Okay, eight years, $24 million. At, at what point do you just have to take it? And clearly, at least in my opinion, I, I, eight years, $24 million to be the head coach at Ohio State. Like You just don't turn that down. I know Chris struggled with it. You know, uh, he wasn't looking to leave Butler, but at some point, I mean, just the financial security that provides is, is becomes very difficult to pass on. And I had some people, I'm assuming they're Butler fans, when I wrote my column the other day, say, well, you know, why didn't you write that he just took the job for money? Well, isn't that sort of understood? Like, like, like what are you talking about? Like, and for, why am I going to shame somebody for taking a job for money? Isn't that what most people take jobs for? And it's not like, you know, taking a job just for money. <clears throat> to me, what that is is 
if you're the head coach at Butler, you got a good thing going, and then Seton Hall decides to offer you $4 million a year, and you take an inferior job for more money, then you're just taking a job for money. Chris Holtman took a better job for more money. Like, what? Like why is there anything wrong with that? So, um, you know, they had to sweeten it to a point to where he would absolutely say yes, but if I'm Ohio State, I'm happy with the way the thing went down, and if I'm Chris, um, I, I would have done the same thing that he did. He was in an interesting spot here um, because Butler is obviously a basketball first school. Ohio State is not. Uh, the money's better. He's got a lot of years. Um, for those that not, might not be aware of it, that you know, this is just the latest reminder that contracts really just they aren't worth much. He just signed an extension for you know seven eight years at Butler all of six weeks ago. Um, he has a higher ceiling at Ohio State than he does at Butler. That is just the facts of the matter. Butler has. Uh, a certain ceiling um, that Ohio State exceeds. Ohio State has better facilities, is able to recruit more aggressively and have an expectation of occasionally landing five-star players, whereas with Butler, if you were to get a five-star player, it would be downright aberrational. So the potential of the Ohio State job has a higher payoff no, nope. let me inter- let me let me interrupt you real quick to put that in perspective. Um, okay. They had just signed the best recruiting class in Butler history, getting ready yes. to enroll. Like it was like that, that. Like that's a fact. The greatest recruiting class in Butler basketball history was is getting set to enroll. It's unclear right now whether they're going to all enroll, but that that that's what Chris Holman had done. Best recruiting class in Butler history, and I think it was like a top thirty-five class with one top one hundred recruit. You know, like I remember, and but the Butler brand has changed over the years, largely because of what Brad Stevens did, but mostly because of the Big East Association. It just changes uh, the way the league affiliation just changes the way you can recruit. But I remember Brad had a unbelievable relationship with Cody Zeller, like because I remember talking to Tyler Zeller. Tyler Tyler played at North Carolina, right? Yeah. Okay. So I'm at North Carolina. I'm talking to Tyler. Cody is in high school, I think, at the time. And I'm like, so what's what's your brother going to do? And he's like, probably, you know, he's like, he really loves Brad Stevens. He loves Butler. He loves Brad Stevens, loves Brad Stevens, loves Brad Stevens. But at the end of the day, like, it's Indiana. And I remember talking to Brad about that while he was still the coach at Butler. He was like, I could have no better relationship with a prospect than I had with Cody Zeller. But, like, at the end of the day, I'm asking him to come play at Butler as opposed to play at Indiana. And for an Indiana kid like him, that's always going to be tough. Like, remember, Gordon Hayward wasn't anybody. You know, he didn't play AAU basketball, so he was totally off the radar except for, you know, in that area. Um, most of the great – Sheldon Mack was nobody. Like, and so, you know, you have – historically speaking, you can recruit at Butler better than you can today, but it's still – like, if you get a top 100 player, that's a huge deal. At Ohio State, you can sign top five recruiting classes. And so there's no getting around it. The ceiling is so much higher there than it is at, at, at Butler or, or, or most places. Right. And I'll get, as we kind of talk about Laval Jordan, I'll kind of circle back to something I wrote and you can read uh, at CBSports.com now. But um, you're absolutely right. And that's nothing against Butler because uh, I think Butler now is a top 40 program in college basketball, whereas 12 years ago it was not a top 100 program. But because of Brad Stevens making two national title games, Going from the horizon to the A-10 to the Big East and finding consistency there, I think it's fair, even if you wanted to list them all out. I would rank Butler just in that top 40 realm because I think it's that good. Basketball means that much. There's big fan support. Um, And it's been able to have, for the most part, uh, success over the past two decades 
over across a number of different coaches. As for Holtman at Ohio State, um, the question that I found myself asking is, will Ohio State in the next five years, five, six years, be better with Holtman than it would have been under Thad? I don't know the answer to that yet. To say yes, I think would be... You can say yes, that's fine. I, I just don't think that's a, that's a surefire guarantee. Now, Holtman was awesome at Butler um, and had really just found some sort of magic there. I thought he w- he worked really well there because he was a three-year coach at Gardner-Webb prior to that with the collective record of 44-54. and 54. Um, Had a conference st- a finish of ninth, 10th, and 2nd. Um, so he could be good, and it might be a great fit. I'm really interested to see how Chris does that. He's bringing over his entire butler staff after it was the first time in a generation that butler did not hire a sitting assistant to its head coaching position so with that those guys are now going to go from recruiting at a competitive big east level which is no joke that's but now they will be recruiting uh nationally against the rest of the big 10 and all other forces within that area ohio is obviously a target for a lot of big time programs so i do think that chris can have some success but i will not be surprised if the Chris Holtman era lasts five years, Ohio State makes two NCAA tournaments, and at the end of that regime, we just say, you know what, Holtman might be better suited at a Butler-level type of job versus Ohio State. He might be there 20 years and be an awesome coach, win a national championship. I wouldn't necessarily put that totally out of the picture. But as we sit right here, GP, I think there is plenty to speculate on, and I understand why Thad had, you know, the ties had to be cut with him. We went over that plenty last week. I won't totally rehash it. But I'm not totally convinced that the Holtman era will wind up being better than an alternative universe where Thad, even with some health issues, would have stayed on for another five, six years. That's well, I, I, I'll say this. If, if Chris is able to stay at Ohio State for 13 years, his 13 years won't be as good as Thad's. Like, there's just no way. It's Yeah, it would, I mean, you'd, you'd really – You'd have to make, and that's not a knock on Chris. I mean, win a title. Yeah, that, mean, that's not a knock on Chris. I mean, like Thad Mata had a Hall of Fame career on, on, like, in the works, and then his body just failed them, and 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 his health went away, and and so I do think it's, I think it's a reasonable question to wonder. Okay, over the next five years, if you'd have just wrote, if you'd have just committed to Thad Mata and said he's our coach for the next five years, no matter what, will that be better than the next five with Chris Holtman? Maybe, but I still. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk out of both sides of my mouth. I understand why Gene Smith needed to do what he needed to do because um, I don't always agree with this. I, I, I sometimes I come down on I'd like to see the coach coach out of it or at least have the opportunity. Um, but if you strictly say, okay, forget what Thad did in his first nine years or in his total of thirteen, or you know, forget all of that. What is where's the program at right now? Where is it going to be a year from now? How is recruiting going? Is there any reason to think it's going to be good anytime soon? There was a lot of stuff that said no. Like there was a lot of not good stuff there. And so if you just want to make a change, and sometimes it's about re-energizing your fan base and just getting a fresh start. You know, there's, um, and I don't subscribe to this, but there's some thought that, you know, in certain professions as it relates to coaching, like it's not the worst thing in the world to just change coaches every seven or eight years, even if things are going pretty well. And the reason is because it just, you know, it, it puts new life in the program, brings new perspective. You can also like mess it up, but um, I, I don't, I don't disagree with them making a coaching change. And I actually think they got a quality coach. 
Um, I, I think I said on the oh, last. I, yeah, I do too. For the record, but yeah. Just because a guy is a quality coach doesn't necessarily. No, nobody's guaranteed anything. There's been guys who have right. gotten bigger jobs, and and I think it's going to work, and it just does not work out. If you're looking for reasons to be skeptical, Chris has never recruited at this level. Not as an assistant. Not as a head coach. At the level you're going to be required to recruit at Ohio State, they've um, he, he's never he's never done that. On the other hand, like. Sean Miller had never recruited at the level you need to recruit at Arizona until he got to Arizona, and then he did it. And he's doing it, as you pointed out in the column last week, as well as anybody not named John Calipari or, or Mike Krzyzewski. So, yes, listen, there's no guarantees. I mean, I think John Calipari is a guarantee. I think Bill Self's a guarantee. You know, Roy Williams seems to be a guarantee throughout his career. Uh, Tom Izzo would probably be great anywhere. Um, but he, certainly Ohio State is rolling the dice a bit, particularly to commit to eight years, $24 million. But – in terms of the candidates they could actually get to be the next head coach at Ohio State, once you decide we are making a coaching change, who's the best guy we can really get to accept our offer, I think they did probably about as well as they could do. Yeah, and eight years, $24 million tells you that Holtman had a lot of control in those negotiations. He should have asked for that much money in those many uh, that many years in order to walk away from a very good situation of Butler because he you know, was holding a top 25 type of roster, best recruiting class in history, coming off the highest seed the program had ever had in program history. So now Butler gets Laval Jordan. And for diehard college basketball fans, they probably know the name. People listening to this podcast, some know it. Many probably don't. Couldn't pick him out of the lineup. Don't know who this guy is. He played for Butler uh, back in the late 90s into the turn of the century. And actually, when he graduated, he was the winningest player in program history. So he, under Barry Collier, who coached then is now the athletic director, he helped spark what has basically been a two-decade run it obviously hit a whole new level under stevens but butler's made 14 of the past 21 ncaa tournaments and a lot of that started with the laval jordan era as a player he then became an assistant for a few years under todd licklider who left for iowa jordan left with them so he has not been part of the butler day-to-day experience on a coaching staff for a decade now he was just at milwaukee had an underwhelming year did make the horizon league title game and milwaukee's a top three job in that league but he also inherited a roster with only four or five uh, scholarship players. So he really, I don't judge him off of what they did last year because he wasn't working with a lot there. I am really interested in this hire. And I, and I wrote this piece because basically I do believe Butler is a firmly entrenched, really good program and job combination. Okay. But I think perspective is really crucial here for the people that care about this kind of stuff and get into it. And if you're listening to a podcast in the middle of June, you do. So, Butler had a situation which almost never happens, and I'm sure it's happened before, but we've had so many schools move across leagues, I just didn't want to dedicate six hours worth of research for it. But it was in the horizon, made a jump to the A-10, conference realignment happened, made an immediate jump to the Big East. So it was only in the A-10 for one year, and the one year that it was in the A-10 was when it was with Brad Stevens. So it made the decision to go to the Big East when it still had Brad Stevens as its head coach. Okay, so with this drastic transition, that's a major step up. You would say at the time the horizon would have been anywhere from 13 to 17 in the league hierarchy. And then to go to the Big East, a clear cut top six league in a two year period. That is a vast, vast jump. No, I've, I've, I've always said Brad got out of there at the right time. Right. So there was no guarantee that Butler was going to have any sort of sustained relevance. Forget about success within the Big East with this kind of jump. There was plenty of speculation that it might have to just toil in the basement for a solid half decade 
what happens? Brandon Miller gets the job. They're mediocre. Then he up and quits. They get Holtman as an interim. And at the time, I mean, no one really knows who Chris Holtman is. The expectation, I mean, I made a bet with with our buddy Jeff Borzello who, that I have to pay off this summer because I said we went over under Butler NCAA tournament appearances in the five years after Stevens left, uh, 2.5 appearances, and I went under confidently. And with Holtman, they went three for three. Borzello wins the bet. But what I'm interested here with GP is that Laval Jordan is going to inherit a really good roster, right? But is he going to be able, and maybe he will, will he be able to sustain this? Will Butler be able to be a clear-cut top five, top half Big East program again for the next five or six years under Jordan? I think it's possible, but let's remember, I'm not going to call it miraculous because it's not. That would be hyperbole. But what Holtman did, I just don't think there are that many coaches that have, could have inherited the Butler situation the way that he did, made three straight NCAA tournaments, gotten four big dance wins, and kept Butler so nationally relevant. So while it's exciting to get a Butler guy, let's remember that it's the first time since Collier in 1989 that a sitting Butler assistant has not been promoted, and, and Jordan hasn't been there for 10 years, and they are in a very competitive Big East. So let's just keep that in mind going forward. What are your thoughts on the Jordan hire and the status of Butler overall? Okay, first things first. You're exactly right about Holtman. Um, you, I think you were on the right side of that bet. just didn't work out for you because the first, the first team that he inherited was picked to finish seventh in the Big East. All right, and then and then they, there they are in February playing Villanova for first place in the Big East. They obviously went to the NCAA tournament that year. I don't remember what his second team was supposed to be, but this last team, they weren't supposed to be good either. Like I remember, we had Butler ranked in the preseason, like the ridiculously early preseason top twenty-five and one. And at some point, shortly there uh, after the national championship game, I was talking to Chris about something totally separate, and he was like. I appreciate your confidence in us, but I don't know if we're really a top 25 team. Like, on paper, I don't I don't know if I see. He, was very, he wasn't hating on his players or anything like that, but he was like, I don't know. Like, we could take a step back here. And they just didn't. They were basically a top 25 team all year long, went to the Sweet 16. He did a remarkable coaching job there. As for Laval at Butler, um, listen, I like Laval. I, I don't know him well, but I've, I've, I've known him. We're friendly. Like, when we see each other, it's, how you doing? Um, I guess this is the only thing I don't like about it. I'm not a big fan of limiting your options based on who has Butler ties. And I would say that about any school. Because, like, it just, from a strictly a numbers perspective, like, you, you limit your pool of candidates, uh, it increases the likelihood that you, you might mess this thing up. In other words, if LeVon Jordan didn't play at Butler, didn't play for Barry Collier, wasn't a Butler assistant, there is no scenario under which a one-year coach from Milwaukee with a losing record gets the Butler job. All right? Correct. It just yes. do, do, does not happen. Under He would not even be considered. It's a little bit like when there was some thought that Indiana was considering Steve Alford. And I like Steve, but I, the thing I always said is there's no way Indiana would be considering Steve Alford if, his, if he didn't play at Indiana. And so if, if you're only considering him, if you agree with me that he would not be under consideration – Unless he played at Indiana and was from Indiana, is that really the direction you ought to be going? And I would say the same thing about Laval here. I, I'm not going to, you know, you're not going to be able to pull this podcast in five years and go, oh, listen to Parrish. He, he said it would be a disaster. I'm not saying that. I do not know. Uh, he's a one-year head coach who, like, didn't, like, knock it out of the park in his one year. That had more to do with what he inherited than 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 what he is as a, a potential head coach at Butler. But still, you know, it's not like he was Chris Beard, took over Little Rock, and 
marched it into the second round of the NCAA tournament. That's not how this happened. And so Laval could be great there. Again, I don't know. But this whole just promoting a Butler you know, guy uh, or hiring a, somebody with Butler connections, like let's not pretend it's worked every time. It's worked more often than not. And obviously Brad Stevens is the greatest example. But like, like let's not forget, they also promoted Brandon Miller. That was a disaster. And and, the, and I know, it, and I don't mean it was just a disaster because Brandon had to walk away. Like that one year, they were terrible, terrible. And so they've, by trying to go with Butler roots, keep it in the family, if you will, they have messed this up before. It doesn't mean they'll mess it up this time, but I am always a proponent you know, and like North Carolina has done this before. You know, we got to hire somebody with North Carolina ties. Got to be in the family, right? I just think that's unwise. You know, I, I would want to, if I were running a university, even if it were Butler, yeah, I'd be looking for certain characteristics that sort of fit what we want to do in a coaching candidate. But whether he had ever worn a Butler jersey or or, uh, or coached inside Hinkle Fieldhouse would have little, uh, little effect on me. I would want to go out and get the best coach I can possibly get. And there is... You know, because I think Holtman's buyout was $2 million, they suddenly had, like, real cash here to, like, if they wanted to go out and spend on a basketball coach, they could have. And I think they could have gotten um, certainly somebody with a better resume than Laval. doesn't mean they could have gotten a better coach. They could have gotten somebody with a better resume. I guess what I'm just saying is I don't know. I wish him luck. I hope it goes well because I think Butler being relevant is a good thing for the sport because Butler is one of the, the sport's uh, more well-known brands. Uh, yeah. largely because people of, watched Butler and inherently root for them because they made a couple of title games and they had a Stevens connection and there was like a once underdog. I just, I, you know, you're right. When Butler's good, people just, it's just one of those handful of teams that's not a traditional powerhouse where people are just like, oh, Butler's on TV. Like, I just get that sense. People just have just a little more interest in that program because it still has this combination of maybe somewhat of an underdog feel, but at the same time, it's now kind of been established in an organic way, I guess. Um, yeah, I just, uh, where are you at on just hiring? Like we got to keep it in the family. I just don't like that. I fundamentally don't like, it doesn't mean it can't work. It worked with Brad Stevens. Right. And I just don't, I, I'm not a big fan of that in general. I agree with you uh, entirely on this GP, not to make this a yes fest cause I'm not trying to do that, but I put out a candidate list and I included an, a couple of non Butler family candidates and obviously heard back from a number of Butler fans, uh, basically laughing off the suggestion. Um, like the idea that Tom Crean shouldn't have been at least considered as a joke like he absolutely should have because he has the qualifications that would that would be worthy of getting or considering it to give him an interview for butler okay so if you're limiting your options um it can definitely hinder your process i will i will have to note here that this process though has while created a hiccup or two um it, it may become some of its luck. It has worked out for Butler basically since Collier got there in 89. So um, uh, here's what I would wonder. Collier and I, was not a city. Well, we'll think about this. Okay. Because this is what somebody has told me about the VCU job as well. Okay. So Barry Collier was, he won at Butler clearly didn't win again. Let's go. Let's run through the list. Who else then? Was it Thad after that? Yeah, I'm almost positive it was Thad. Okay. Now Thad, Thad was obviously great. Go through the Butler coaches in order if you can remember them. I hold on. I can't remember. I can't remember who it was. Someone. I thought there was someone between Thad and Licklider. Maybe okay. I'm wrong. Let me look here. I'll go to Butler. Let me see if I can. Thad find was it. for one year. Thad went for one year to Butler, and then he went to Xavier. Maybe it was Licklider. Okay. There, okay. There's so so there was Todd Licklider. He won at Butler. Never won again. 
Right. After Licklider, it was Brad Stevens. He's obviously right. a genius. But then it was Brandon Miller. That was a disaster. Holtman has been good. Here's my point. Like, is it possible if Barry Carrier won at Butler, then never won again? Todd Licklider won at Butler, never won again. Yeah, we've got the Thad Mata example and the Brad Stevens example, but we've also got those two examples. Yes. Like, oh, like, so, I think, yeah, I kind uh, of touched on that. Might be. Yeah, like, oh, like, oh, is it is it that Butler always hires unbelievable coaches, or is it that anybody could win at Butler, or almost anybody yeah, could win the at Butler? Thing. It's like it almost feels as though I stopped short of outright saying that, but it does feel as though Butler itself, there is something to the way the program operates that allows us, but. That's also why I wrote the piece, GP, because let's – I don't don't fall in the trap of thinking that because the reality of where Butler is now in the Big East um, and the fact that Laval is going to start over with a staff. No one from Holtman's staff is staying on, so he's got to hire a whole new staff. So, yes, it could be the case that Butler lifts all boats on that tide. That is that job, but – I, I want to see what Jordan does here first. I mean, I'm, I'm just not totally convinced, especially with the new element of playing in a Big East and making this transition, that that's the case. Maybe it will be. Maybe Holtman was able to uh, unwrinkle something that could have basically wrinkled into something really bad with the Brandon Miller situation. Um, but we'll we'll see going forward. It's, it's definitely, I think it's a solid hire, don't get me wrong, but... Um, there's just there's no guarantee. Uh, Holtman did a tremendous job there, and uh, we'll see if Laval can can keep that going and recruit and get top forty classes. And if he can, then in theory, yes, they should remain a top four, top five program in the Big East. You mentioned Tom Crane, and I know that for a lot of the reasons we've touched on and some other reasons we haven't, that he didn't have a real shot at the Butler job. But like the idea that he wouldn't have been great at Butler, I like he. I think he would have been great at Butler. And um, and here's something interesting. I think I, I heard Tom say this somewhere. If you go and look at like the last seven Big Ten titles, um, or yeah, it might be last. Okay, go back to 2010. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Since 2010, there's been eight Big Ten titles. Tom Crean and Thad Mata are responsible for five of the eight. Neither one of them have a job right now. Yeah, interesting stat. It, they, they're responsible. They at least won a share of five of the past eight Big Ten titles, and neither one of them have a job right now. Here's a – not a prediction because it's not, obviously not going to happen. Here's, here's a uh, – if Greg McDermott would have taken Ohio State. Creighton to Creighton. I think Tom Crean would be the head coach of Creighton right now. Right now. I think that's who, and I think he'd be great at Creighton too. He's just going to sit out a year, do some television, and like you know, bounce around, and then uh, you know he'll get his pick of jobs next year. I would, uh, I would assume. But yeah, I think you and I are in agreement on Laval Ball, uh, Laval Ball, Laval Jordan. People, have, people <laughs> have been doing that, by the way. It's, it's like doing. it's like now you're so conditioned. Anytime you go Laval, it's just Laval Ball. I know. I yeah. Know. So with, I think you and I are on the same page. Like he could be terrific. He has a great reputation. I should make that clear. Like people really do think highly of him, um, and he's obviously worked for some great coaches, including John Beeline. Um, but you just don't know. And though this might work out, 
Um, I'm just not a fan of limiting because that's what that's essentially what Butler did here. They limited it to, to unless you've worked at Butler before, you didn't have a chance at this job. And the other options were Micah Shrewsbury, who of course worked with Brad and is now with the Celtics with Brad, and then um, Ryan Peden, who was on Chris Holdman's staff. He was responsible, I believe, for recruiting Kyle Young, the top 100 prospect in this class. So by not going that direction, it might cost you your top recruit uh, from the class of 2017 because Kyle Young is now reportedly considering uh, following Holtman and that staff to uh, Ohio State. But whatever. We'll see. Um, uh, Like I said, I hope it works out because – it, the college basketball, uh, the, the sport of, of college basketball is more interesting when Butler matters because Butler is one of the more uh, interesting brands in, in the sport and has been since Brad took them to back-to-back national championship games. You want to get out of here? Yeah, man, let's get out of here. Um, I got nothing else. We got the draft next week, and I suppose we'll do a, a pre-draft uh, thing. Let me ask so. you a hypothetical real quick before we get out of here. If... Devin Downey were eligible for the 2017 NBA draft. Where do you think he gets picked, first or second? I'm going to be realistic here um, and say first. I think that's got to be the consideration. If at full health, um, can you imagine? Markel, like like Markel Fultz is almost uh, another like a twist off of, of a Devin Downey type of a clone kind of player. Like Fultz is good. Don't get me wrong. Well, but. that's the thing when I talk to NBA people and this doesn't come up enough. Like I've been reading a lot of the draft coverage and it's like Markel Fultz reminds me of Markel Fultz reminds me of, and I'm like, Markel Fultz reminds me of if we're playing fill in the brain, a bigger version of, of Devin Downey. And if you take Devin Downey, put him in 2017 NBA draft. Um, I mean, you're looking at a possible backcourt of Isaiah Thomas and Devin Downey in Boston. Get out, of my, get out of my face. Like, the Eastern Conference reign of LeBron James probably comes to an end. I mean, the Golden State reign's done. I mean, it's it's they got two and thank, so no more. That's, thank that's God, it. thank God Kevin Durant would have gotten that title last night and not had to deal with a Devin Downey-Isaiah Thomas backcourt next year in Boston. Because you might remember, January 26, 2010, he had 30 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, 68-62 victory over uh, the Kentucky Wildcats. John Calipari's first loss at Kentucky. Devin Downey, shouts to you. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry Teagle. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via iTunes, so please do that. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again next week. Till then, take care. Thank you.